Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording live from my Brooklyn solarium. Folks, you know, this country is just one big fucking cesspool. The other day on Twitter, I said that what is transpiring right now in our culture and our political climate makes cesspools look like natural springs. Um, The performative bullshit that Kevin McCarthy did on the floor at the end of last week was so disgraceful, so foolish. I mean, are, are we are we what uh, trying to uh, filibuster giving children the care that they need, giving parents uh, child tax credits so that you know they don't go broke while trying to also work, put food on the table, and pay their mortgages? Like I just, I'm so confused every single day about what the Republican message is outside of hate, obstruction, white supremacy, misogyny, Islamophobia, transphobia, homophobia, you name it, they claim it, right? You have Matt Gaetz, who is a despicable, disgusting, fucking sexual predator right now, who is saying that he is going to offer a congressional internship, a which mind you, let me just remind people because I think that folks like don't necessarily know unless you've lived inside of the beltway that a congressional internship, a fellowship on Capitol Hill used to be something that was distinguished, prestigious, right? I myself was a fellow on Capitol Hill many, many, many moons ago when, you know, we had a functioning fucking government. Right. But for Matt Gates of all fucking people to signal that he would welcome a murderer as a congressional aide, 
just shows you that there is absolutely no bottom. And when I say that, I want people to remain vigilant because you see when people have nothing to lose, when there is no bottom, when they have decided as later, our guest, Glenn Kirshner will remind us when they have chose, chosen, excuse me, lawlessness, when lawlessness is where we are going, then everyone should be concerned. And I'm not saying that we should live our lives in fear, right? In fear of retaliation from the Republican party as they want to do over Paul Gosar getting censured because he's a violent piece of shit, right? Who thinks that it's okay to post videos about murdering one of your fucking colleagues. Let me tell you something. You wouldn't have a job at a fast food fucking chain if you had put out some hot shit like that. And the fact that that motherfucker is still able to sit in Congress now, toothless, right? Because he has no power. But the fact that he still has a job and is collecting a check from the taxpayers of this goddamn country, I'm like, miss me with the bullshit, right? Because if you could not act in the way that the Laura Boberts, the Paul Gosers, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, if you couldn't act like that at a fast food chain, at a big box fucking store and think that you were going to keep your job, then how the fuck are we allowing these people to continue to be referred to as members of Congress? How are you not expelled? You know, the more that I see this party, this cult act a fool, the more that I see them embrace violence, right? And cruelty and mayhem as their choice of action. The more that I'm like, where are the guardrails? You know, the founding fathers of this nation, right? Those that founded this nation on the backs and the brutality, right? Of the, you know, indigenous population that was already here could not have foresaw, could not foresee the fuckery that we are in right now. Because I don't think that even for as vile of slaveholders and masters that they were, I don't think that they foresaw a party that would literally legitimately work tirelessly to undermine the very principles that they were creating. You know, I, I, I continue to wonder what happened to like raucous debate that was steeped in deep policy, right? And ideology when we would actually watch our leaders go back and forth, not with barbs and insults and attacks against people's character, but instead about whether or not you were actually offering up something of note of importance to the American people that would change their day-to-day -day lives. What happened to that? You know, I, I am not too, uh, too old, right? Or too young to remember a time when that was the norm. But I feel like that died when Obama was elected to office. No. And actually, if we go back even further, because remember that this was the party that impeached Bill Clinton for a fucking blowjob, but refused to impeach Donald Trump for trying to overthrow the government or trying to pressure and persuade a foreign leader with all of the evidence in front of them, a blowjob 
was much more damaging to the country than an attempted coup. Everywhere that we look right now, everywhere from our judicial system, right? And the lackluster Department of Justice that we have, who, you know, we have come to understand Merrick Garland as a man of little passion, of little urgency, um, of someone who is so steeped in preserving an institution, but not the integrity of that institution, not restoring the faith in our agencies, at least, right? At least in the, in the perception that justice will be served against those who break the law. We don't even have that. We're holding on to that by a fucking thread right now. You know, I, I get that Democrats want to, you know, talk about policy. I get that policy is important. And the infrastructure bill that was passed and the human infrastructure bill that is coming up right behind it, these things are important. But I have got to state once again that there is nothing more important to our nation right now than securing our democracy. And you do that by bringing those who threaten our democracy, who still in this slow moving coup that is happening, that you take them, you take them right out. And I don't mean in a violent, in a violent way. I don't mean take them out as if they're not breathing anymore, but I mean, take them out of commission, put them behind bars, make them the symbol to those that if you try again to overthrow our government, if you align yourself right with the drudges of our society and our political system, you will go to jail. How is that not like what we are doing? How is that not rocket science? I just, I, I, I am at a place every day, every day when I turn on the camera, when I turn on, you know, the, the mic and I'm always, what am I going to say? What am I going to offer that is not going to incense you all? And, you know, a part of woke AF is about building productive rage. And what do I mean by productive rage? I mean that rage and anger are in fact tools, right? They are tools that help us move, right? If we target that energy, right? Into having some type of outcome. Because if we were to all shrug our shoulders and just be like, well, it is what it is, then everything would get worse. And I know you're thinking to yourself, how could it get worse? Don't even ask that question. Don't even put that out into the fucking universe right now. But it could. The only reason why Derek Chauvin is in prison is because of people like you. Because you were outraged, disgusted, and decided to march, decided to donate, decided to make phone calls. That was productive anger and rage when the late John Lewis talked about good trouble. That is when we know that justice is on our side, but that the powers that be will use any, any amount of forceful tactics 
in order to silence us. Our voice is our power, right? And I know that every single day you feel exhausted because I know that I do. Because you're like, when, when is enough going to be enough? Like if we don't convict Kyle Rittenhouse of murder, what the fuck do you think is going to happen in a couple of months on these American streets with the boogaloo boys and the proud boys and all of those little menacing fucking groups now feeling emboldened, right? To go out and shoot to kill because nothing is going to happen to them. We have got to continue to be angry, but restore that energy with rest, right? Restore that energy with a deep meditation on what we believe to be true, which is that these, this group, this 25% of people that Donald Trump and Trumpism has a hold over, that we are still the majority, right? That there are still more of us than there are of them, but we have got to create strategy. We have got to put one foot in front of the other and hold these people accountable. And if that looks like good trouble, I am all fucking here for it. Because here's the thing is that we're not going to fight fire with fire because they have fucking bazookas, right? They have like tanks in their backyards that they're ready to roll out. So we have got to think of better ways. You know, there was a time hundreds of years ago when even the thought of abolishing slavery, the foundational economic institution that created this fucking country, right? And world economies that the thought of abolishing it was so outside the scope of realm of possibility. It took centuries, but it happened. There was a time when thinking that black people were going to be able to vote in this country was seen again outside of the realm of possibility. There's no way that this racist, rabid, white supremacist country is going to allow the, the, the children of former slaves to be able to vote. And it did, it happened. Every time that we think that something is impossible, every time that we believe this country will not bend with our will and our rage, we force them to. And I don't want us to lose sight of that because they will not take our power away. Not without a fucking fight. Coming up next, dear friends, is my conversation with our friend Glenn Kirshner, the host of Justice Matters and MSNBC legal analyst. He is going to run through the Rittenhouse case, the McDaniels case, where we are with Steve Bannon's indictment and where we are moving with the insurrectionists. That is coming up next. Folks, you know that every week when we have the opportunity to sit down with our friend, the host of Justice Matters, Glenn Kirshner, and an MSNBC legal analyst, I am both excited and also saddened by the legal news that we have to go through on a regular basis, this week being one that has been, you know, incredibly daunting, 
I would say, Glenn, um, I had tweeted many a times that I was not following the Kyle Rittenhouse case with the same vigor that I did with Derek Chauvin or with George Zimmerman, for that matter, because based on the judge's initial, Judge Schrober's initial uh, flippant remarks, whether it be around the word victim, whether it be, you know, admonishing uh, the prosecution, um, you know, just this week throwing out MSNBC from the courtroom, um, his ringtone being the ringtone that was used uh, at every Trump rally. Um, How do you wrap your mind around these figures, these judges that are supposed to be these impartial figures But what we see time and time again, much in the same way that I look at police reporting now, is that they are anything but. So there is, um, you know, we we get the elected officials that we vote for. And most judges, local judges, are elected. I always thought there was an inconsistency or an incongruity between running for office to be a judge where your really primary responsibility is to be fair and impartial and civil to everybody, every litigant, regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, national origin, you know, lifestyle, any of that, Uh, running for office and then serving as a judge when you because you know these judges will run for office saying i'm going to be the i'm going to take liberties here the hanging judge law and order lock them all up keep our community safe well judge that's not your job your job is to be a fair and impartial referee in essence between the prosecution and the defense and it is your job judge to make sure that the prosecution doesn't overreach and violate the rights of the defendant. So, you know, we get the judges we deserve when we elect them. So I I don't know, Danielle, I've always struggled to figure out how can we best go about installing judges, appointed judges, appointed by the president, if it's a federal court, or by a governor, if it's a state court, or elected. I don't think there is any perfect way to choose and put in place judges because we have a whole bunch of Mitch McConnell judges that were rated not qualified by the American Bar Association and a corrupt president got to install them on the federal bench. So, but Judge Schrader, I think is unique. I've appeared before nearly 200 judges, I think military and civilian trial court and appellate court in my 30 years of prosecuting cases. I've never seen somebody quite as ill-suited to be a judge as Judge Schroeder. Mm. Um, He made, you know, a really horrific decision that I don't believe any other judge would have made on the front end of this trial. And that infuriated me because victims' rights are also near and dear to my heart. Um, When he said the prosecution may not refer to the victims as victims, but the defense may refer to those same people as rioters and looters and arsonists and basically people who brought it on themselves. They deserved what they got. That was the message the judge allowed to be sent to the jury based on his disparity of treatment of the parties. That's horrendous. 
um, and biased. So, and then you, you ticked off a number of other things he did. He said something really ominous at the end, too, that I've gone back and I've read and reread to try to understand. He said, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but it's been published in any number of articles. He said, well, you know, if the jury gets things right, everything will be fine. And if not, it's going to get ugly. I've never had a judge articulate that, Danielle, but it feels to me like he hasn't ruled on the motion for a mistrial because he's waiting to see what the jury does. If the jury finds him not guilty, in his biased mind, it might be no harm, no foul. If the jury finds him guilty, there's something that is little used called the JNOV, judgment notwithstanding a verdict. A judge can enter a not guilty verdict after a jury has returned a guilty verdict if he believes the jury's verdict is not supported by the evidence. And when I heard the judge say that, and it, it, it sent a chill down my spine because it almost feels like if the jury convicts Rittenhouse, he would be prepared to grant a JNOV, which is kind of in substance the same as a mistrial. And he hasn't ruled on the mistrial motion yet. Boy, that that would be about as ugly uh, as judicial conduct gets, in my opinion. But, you know, Glenn, knowing all of that to be true, knowing that anyone who without a legal degree could see that this judge was extraordinarily biased, right? From the moment. I, I don't know what else you call people that are murdered in cold blood that decided to leave their homes in a pandemic to protest against injustice. I don't know what you would call those people other than to refer to them as victims, right? When there is no evidence of looting or arson or any of the heinous things that he brought up that the defense was able to use. And so what recourse, if any, would the prosecution have to remove a person like Judge Schroeder or to contest, right, whatever his ruling may be that could subvert what it is, the decision that comes out from the jury? Sadly, the prosecutors don't have a lot of remedies available to them. The defense has remedies available um, in comparable circumstances. but. Prosecutors can make a motion to have a judge recuse himself from the case for bias or improper judicial conduct. How often do you think a judge is going to say, yeah, you know what? I have done a bunch of improper stuff, so I think I'll remove myself. Yeah. How about never or almost never? We get motions to recuse when there are some financial entanglements, like, for example, a stock a, a, judge owns stock in a company and that company is involved in the litigation, okay, then the judge has a conflict and would need to remove him or herself from the case. But, you know, the, the prosecution has relatively few tools available to remove a bad judge. If a judge makes a decision uh, that's a case-ending decision, for example, uh, he just decides to dismiss the charges, well, that could be appealed in the due course by the prosecution. That's one of the few things the prosecutors uh, might be able to appeal. Otherwise, we are at the whims of judges. And that was my experience for three decades trying cases. You just you draw a judge and you have to live with that judge's peculiarities. And every judge has their own peculiarities. I've just never seen any as bad as Judge Schroeder. 
I, I just, you know, I guess the question that I constantly ask you, I feel like every week is, how are people supposed to have faith in a judicial system that is clearly rigged? Like, how are, how are we supposed to, and this is, again, why I decided to put my mental and emotional health first and not follow each and every moment of this trial and just, you know, would read back on the transcripts or watch the clips on cable news because I knew how they, I knew from the beginning where this would go. Right. And, and, and the fact is much in the same way that is happening with regard to the lack of vigor in prosecution of the one six insurrectionists, what kind of country does judge Schroeder think that he's setting up when you are allowing for there to be zero accountability for any person to be able to pick up a gun, pick up a rifle, drive across state and insert themselves, right? In a situation where they get to play toy soldier or toy cop and take people's lives. Like what, I mean, what do, what does he think what is going to happen and follow suit? And is, and is that, you know, without me being super dark and cynical, is that the point, right? Much in the same way that Donald Trump told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by, is this um, impending decision, right? And the movements and what we heard from this judge, essentially a very overt nod to the Rittenhouses of the world that arm up, right? Because nothing will happen to you. We consider you a patriot. Yeah, there um, there are politicians who are making no secret of their admiration and even respect for Kyle Rittenhouse and what he did. Matt Gates said yesterday, I believe oh, I that oh, I, I will. Uh, I, I'm considering hiring him as an intern because fill in the blanks. He killed some folks I deem undesirable. Um, th- this is where we are. So. I know you and I, Danielle, every week we ask ourselves and we ask each other, and frankly, neither one of us ever comes up with a good answer. How can it be? How can the citizenry continue to have faith, for example, in the criminal justice system? And I think the answer is, you know, faith in the criminal justice system is eroding. I mean, people are now viewing the Supreme Court and they they do polls on these things um, as, you know, becoming illegitimate and hopelessly biased and political. And I think that is now permeating the, some of the trial courts, certainly the federal bench where we have all these ideologues appointed by Trump and Mitch McConnell. And now you see the Schrader, the Schraders of the world. You know, now what we also should at least take some comfort in is the judge who presided over the Derek Chauvin case for murdering George Floyd. He, he ran a trial the way the tri- a trial should be run. I've been trying to watch some of the um, Arbery case. That judge seems, at least the rulings that I've seen, he seems to be doing a good job. I appeared before dozens and dozens and dozens of judges who were outstanding jurists, made me proud every day, even when they were ruling against my position. I mean, it's still out there. Now, unfortunately, you know, it's often the horror stories that get all of the uh, airtime But, you know, I think faith is eroding. Faith is eroding in all of our institutions, in the courts, in the Congress, in the um, executive branch, the Department of Justice. My goodness, Danielle, you asked the question, how can people have faith when it seems like the criminal justice system is rigged? 
Well, it's been rigged in favor of Donald Trump and company for years now. And I think, you know, we may just lose all faith and indeed we may lose our republic if Trump and company aren't brought to justice. So, yeah, it's we are on a very bad trajectory right now with respect to faith and trust in the integrity of our courts. You know, I, I keep saying to this week that these trials that that are happening right now is really about America. It is really about, you know, where and if we ever truly had a moral compass in this country, right? Where you have two cases of aggrieved, enraged, armed white racists, right? Who are on trial from the age of 17 up until their 50s, 60s, and they all they all believe that they had a license to kill. Whether you're looking at the McDaniels and they're saying, well, we had the right to create to, to do a citizen's arrest, right? I mean, this is their defense. You said Kyle Rittenhouse is like, I was doing what what no one else was going to do. It's it's like, how do you know? I, and I, I genuinely ask, like, how do you make sense of what? I perceive to be incredibly irrational behavior. I am enraged almost every single day at the injustices that I see. But by virtue of being a black queer woman in America, I don't have the ability to go pick up a rifle and go take out my rage, right? I don't have the ability to go jump in a car and encircle said person that I see and take them down because I don't want them on my street. And what, what this climate is creating is, is, you know, somebody had said to me the other day, it is reminiscent and possibly worse than the 1960s, that it is, it is, it is worse because the climate of fear and terrorism is being supported outwardly by our justice system with no backing, no, no even conversation, honestly, that is being happened, uh, that's being had on the left by Democrats saying that there is something fundamentally broken. And I'm just wondering, like, is there messaging? Because we cannot continue to pretend that justice is blind. We cannot continue to pretend that these judges, whether they sit on the Supreme Court or federal court or circuit courts, that they are beyond reproach. And yet that's how we, that's how we continue to view them when all evidence points to the contrary. So, you know, Glenn, it's like, where do we go? What, what, what message should we be sending out to the people about this system? So first of all, I think many of the Republicans, particularly our elected members of Congress, are, are quite pleased with the direction. As you and I are appalled because it is nothing but injustice and unequal treatment, they're quite pleased with it, you know? And we can draw inferences about what their ultimate goal is, what the ultimate solution is for them. The only thing that I see remedying this, yes, first, there should be messaging coming from the Democrats, and it should involve all day, every day, holding criminal politicians accountable. Because if we don't make that change, and there's not been a whole lot of 
public information saying they're ready to make that change. They're ready to drop a massive 371 conspiracy on Donald Trump and company for the crimes against the United States they inarguably committed. Until we make that change, I don't think there's any hope of changing course. I've been saying, you want to change the narrative? Charge Donald Trump criminally. You don't charge him to change the narrative. You charge him because he committed crimes against the United States and her people. But that will change the narrative. That's what we have to do. And if we don't, we're lost. And we don't seem to be messaging that for fear, I think, that we'll be viewed as overreaching, we'll be viewed as engaging in political retribution, none of which could be further from the truth. We're just trying to enforce the damn laws, laws that were broken to try to destroy our democracy. There's a massive conspiracy, Trump and Jeffrey Clark and John Eastman and Rudy Giuliani and Mo Brooks, massive conspiracy. It's all right there for the indicting. We need to indict it if we have any hope of getting through this intact as a democracy. That's not, hi that's not hyperbole. That's the state of affairs. You know, when I watched this week, um, as the vote came up in the House to censor uh, Paul Go Goser, right? And this man and his team thought it was perfectly okay to create a violent and obscene video, right? Like th this is not, again, this is not some right wing, not from the middle of nowhere. This is a sitting member of Congress who through video threatened the life of his colleague. Only two Republicans voted to censure him, two. And so I wonder, Glenn, like in all honesty, do you think that it is going to take loss of life, right, in order for our Congress, in order for our Justice Department to wake up? Because, you know, as I was watching the video and then I'm listening to Kevin McCarthy's nonsense on the floor, which is just, my God, um, obscene, I, I am wondering... Like, is that, is that what's next? Because you see, you have Lauren Boebert in Congress walking around with a loaded gun on her hip. You got Marjorie Taylor Greene that put up crosshairs on the faces of the member of her colleagues that she did not like. Like you have all of this clamoring and you have their constituency, the constituency of the McDaniels and the Rittenhouses, right? Like, is it, is violence the, like, is there any deterrent from the path that I'm seeing towards violence? Uh, you know, I don't know that violence will have a greater impact on the Republicans than everything that has come thus far. There was violence writ large on January 6th, including death, and the Republicans are now if not denying it, they're ignoring it. At the extreme, they're justifying it, but they're sure not concerned about it. And they don't seem to be concerned that it could happen all over again. So 
to, to answer your question, sounds crazy, but I don't think violence will impress them or deter them from the path they have chosen because they've chosen lawlessness by not condemning and working against what happened on January 6th. They are endorsing it. They are embracing it. They are encouraging it. So I think violence might be part of their plan, or at least they're willing to accept it as the next step in their battle to retain or regain power. You know, um, one of the most famous faces from the insurrection, the QAnon shaman, as he was named, was finally sentenced to 41 months in jail. Um, I, again, made the comment that there are people that are serving much longer sentences for possession of marijuana still. Um, was this the right call? 41 months? Will he, in fact, serve that time? Was this a signal of what is to come? Or should it, is it just chalked up once again to the rolling of the dice, depending on the judges that these folks go before, you know, will depend on whether or not they get a slap on the wrist or congratulations? Yeah, so we're supposed to sort of norm sentences um, from judge to judge to judge to do away with the disparities of the past in sentencing. But um, but it's still, you know, you're going to have one judge go high and one judge go low. That is the nature of judging. And they do have the discretion. And, and I, what I would say is every offender and every offense is and it is absolutely unique and has to be sentenced on its own merits. Um, was 41 months enough? I don't know, for attacking and trying to overthrow the government of the United States, it, it sure seems like a lenient sentence. Now, the prosecution was asking for 51 months, and I will say 41 months was a guideline compliant sentence. So the judge didn't go below where the federal guidelines place this offense. Um, and I think 41 months is nothing to sneeze at. I wouldn't want to do 41 minutes in jail or in prison, never mind 41 months. I do think we have seen a trend of the sentences to, to, begin to rise. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's due in part because they were trying to get through the cases where, you know, somebody unlawfully entered the Capitol, but didn't hurt anybody, didn't assault police, didn't destroy property, didn't, you know, create havoc inside the Capitol. Now we're getting to the more serious defendants who did engage in violence and property destruction. So, and I do think 41 is the kind of number that other insurrectionists will look at and take seriously and think, man, I better get in front of this train or I'm going to get run over by this train. And they'll consider pleading guilty and hopefully cooperating if they have information that could incriminate others. So I think we're on the right trajectory generally. Um, and hopefully that will continue. And then at some point, Danielle, I'm hoping we see phase two of the indictments against the funders, the organizers and the insiders and the mm -hmm. conspirators like those folks in the war room at the Willard plotting to overthrow the government. These people must be brought to justice. This is non-negotiable. This is absolutely non-negotiable. And my question, Danielle, is mm -hmm. what do we do? Because right. we're in the majority, you know. Trump has maybe 25% of the mm -hmm. country on mm -hmm. his side. 
and they're loud and they're big and they bluff from they, you know, they're bluff and bluster and boasting and they like to carry their guns. We are the majority, the people who actually give a damn about our democracy, who give a damn about equality and diversity and decency. We're in the majority. I don't think we're going to let the 25% take it all away. What do we do about it? How do we message? How do we act? We're going to have to talk about that. But I'll be damned if we're going to let them take it away. You know, they want to fight. I'm, I'm not advocating violence. We'll fight on all fronts, not with guns. They want to fight. They're not going to take it away. And we just have to figure out how do we go about making sure we don't let them take it and away. And I hear that because let me tell you something. Uh, for the past, you know, two years that we have been engaged in conversation, you have always been the hopeful one. You have always been this the steadfast one. Um, and, you know, what what is concerning to me is that we're all getting angrier because we're all sitting and waiting patiently, right? For justice to arrive. I mean, you know, the, the last thing that I want to talk to you about is Bannon. Right? Almost three weeks to indict Bannon. Almost three weeks. And he got to turn himself in, Glenn. I can't tell you a black or brown person that ever has the benefit of the doubt to be able to turn themselves in for a goddamn thing. Right? This man sat in the Willard Hotel, as you just stated, with a group of other people to create a clear strategic plan to overthrow the government. He was able to sit at home this entire time, go on all right-wing news stations, continue with the lie, and then have the ability to turn himself in when he saw fit. What kind of signal is that sending? And what hope do we have? We saw the judge Right. Just say that we're not going to wait until the new year, which is what uh, Bannon's attorneys wanted in order for this trial to begin, that that is not going to happen. But what can we expect here, given all I mean, the runway this man was given, the leniency he was given? So a couple of things. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, first of all, Steve Bannon is going to jail. And I can say that with confidence because he's been charged with two counts of contempt of Congress. If he is convicted, and he will be because he has zero defense, and we can talk about why that is. The, the sentencing scheme in the statute says he shall be confined, shall be imprisoned for no less than one month and no more than one year on each count. That's two months in jail for openers. The judge has no discretion to go below. That's a mandatory minimum sentence. I believe he'll be convicted and will probably get a year or 18 months. And the reason he'll be convicted is because he has no defense. Danielle, first of all, he wasn't in the administration. He has, he has the tiniest scrap, perhaps, of an argument that maybe there's a little bit of executive privilege. He doesn't have any executive privilege, but if he wanted to assert executive privilege, here's the way you do it. You appear on the congressional subpoena. You take the stand. You get placed under oath. And they start asking you questions. Uh, sir, state your name. No, I invoke executive. Well, Steve, you don't have executive privilege over your name. Donald Trump didn't bestow your name upon you in a national <laughs> security conversation. 
And then it's like, where did you used to work? Hey, Steve, did you ever talk to any members of Congress or their staff about what was going to happen on January 6th? Hey, Steve, tell us about all the conversations you had with the Proud Boys and the three percenters and, you know, all the other little miscreants, right? None of that, Danielle, even if he was the dang national security advisor, none of that would enjoy executive privilege. He has to answer all of it. He wasn't going to comply with that subpoena because he wanted to be locked up so he could mm. use it to fundraise, so he could have a platform. He had his little camera crew in tow when he stood outside the federal courthouse last week saying, you know, I'm going to take down the Biden administration. This is going to be the case from hell. Danielle, I was in that same courthouse when Steve Bannon got dragged in by his collar to testify as a prosecution witness against Roger Stone. And he was a stone cold punk. They put him up on the stand. They said, Mr. Bannon, who was the Trump campaign's access point to WikiLeaks and Julian Assange for purposes of those weaponized mm -hmm, emails mm -hmm. to hurt the Clinton campaign? Steve Bannon said, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't remember. I can't say. I, I, I. Well, let's look at your grand jury testimony. When you were placed under oath and you were asked, who was the Trump campaign access point to Julian Assange and WikiLeaks? And you said, and I quote, Roger Stone, thereby implicating, incriminating Roger Stone and by extension, the Trump campaign. Isn't that true, sir? Uh, yeah. He was a stone cold punk because that's mm -hmm. who he is at his core. All bluff and bluster with his camera crew outside the courthouse. Boy, but he couldn't incriminate Roger Stone quickly enough, and he wasn't even man enough to do it. He had to be impeached with his own grand jury testimony. That is the true Steve Bannon. This is performance art and fundraising and continued grifting of Donald Trump's base. He will be convicted. He will go to prison. He will probably never cooperate, and that's fine. I wouldn't want his cooperation as a witness, somebody who tried to overthrow the government. And Danielle, here is my hope and even my expectation. There will be more indictments, what we call superseding indictments, and Steve Bannon will be charged for his crimes against the United States. Oh, Glenn, as always, thank you so much for making the time to join Woke AF for this supersized uh, legal breakdown of where we are headed in this country, because I am in deep concern, um, but will still hold on to a grain of hope that people who plotted to overthrow our government will see justice at some point. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.
website. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.